In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were left before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's the end of the world. The moon turns to blood, mountains crumble, mutant locusts swarm. These are just some of the strange images we find in parts of the Bible called 
apocalyptic. And while most people think the biblical word apocalypse means the end of the world, it actually doesn't mean that at all. So let's talk about how to read apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So wait, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world? No. Apocalypse is a Greek word that means to uncover or reveal. An apocalypse is when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. Because I don't always see things the way they really are. Right. We all develop familiar ways of seeing the world that can limit or blur our vision. So an apocalypse is like a revelation. Right. Now, in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God pulls back the curtain to show someone what's really going on in the world from a divine perspective. For example, take Isaiah the prophet. He's suddenly transported in a vision into God's throne room. Oh, right. He's in God's temple, described as a bridge between heaven and earth. And there, God gives him a divine perspective on Israel's past, present, and their future. So that Isaiah can bring challenge and comfort to God's people in his own day. Or think about the Apostle Paul, who was trying to stop the movement of Jesus, but then he gets stopped in his tracks by a vision of the risen Jesus himself. Yeah, he realizes that he's fighting against the very thing that he's been hoping for, and it changes the course of his life. So these apocalypses give people a heavenly perspective on their earthly situation, and they can give hope, or they can challenge you. Or make you change everything. Now, those are biblical stories about people having an apocalypse. There are also whole sections of biblical books where a prophet describes extended apocalyptic dreams and visions. People call this apocalyptic literature. And reading these dreams and visions is difficult. I mean, they're filled with strange images. Like, let's take Daniel. He sees ferocious beasts coming up out of a dark sea, trampling people on the land. And then a character called the Son of Man is exalted to rule the world. What is going on? Yeah, apocalyptic literature is written in a poetic, imaginative style, and it's packed with symbolism. How can I know what these symbols mean? Well, first, by studying the rest of your Bible. Apocalyptic imagery is based on biblical design patterns that begin in the book of Genesis and then develop throughout the Bible. Like the chaotic sea in the first sentences of the Bible that God tames but doesn't eliminate as he orders creation. And so the sea becomes an image of danger, death, and cosmic chaos. Ah, and the dry land, which comes out of the sea, is the safe, ordered place where humans are supposed to rule as God's image. Yes, and also on the land are beasts that humans are supposed to oversee. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast. And start acting like violent beasts. Exactly. Now, sometimes a prophet will tell you what a symbol means. Like in Daniel, we're told those beasts symbolize violent human kingdoms. But more often, the authors just assume you know how to trace an image through the biblical story to understand its meaning. Okay, this is a lot to take in. It is. And there's a lot in these books that is still hard to understand, but the purpose of apocalyptic is really clear. To give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. A long time ago, the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. (laughs) 
towards the end of the game. It was the fourth quarter of the game. And so everyone's paying attention because the end is getting close. Wes Jeffcoat comes around the end. He was a defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys and he hit the quarterback for the other team, Jim Kelly. And Jim Kelly dropped the ball. And a man by the name of Leon Lett picked up the football and started to run towards the end zone. It's the end of the game, right? All the fans are paying attention, everyone's excited, and he looks over his shoulder, he being Leon Lett, looks over his shoulder and he doesn't see anyone coming, so he decides he's gonna slow down and enjoy the moment. And he didn't know that out of his view, there was a man by the name of Don Beebe. Anyone remember this play? In fact, I saw last week an NFL Films replay that said this was the second most tragic play in the history of the NFL. <laughs> really? Leon Letts looking over his shoulder this direction does not see and right before he reaches the end zone, the ball was stripped away and he fumbled. The end of the game. As we transition into the second half of the book of Daniel, into this apocalyptic literature, Daniel is going to use the words I saw. He is going to watch, those words are gonna show up multiple times. It's kinda like he's watching a game be played out before him. He's gonna watch and see God show him what's gonna happen, not just in the end of the game, but at the end of all time. And as Daniel watches and sees this play out, we're gonna see something tragic happen. But I want you to see all of it because as we leave here today, if all you see is the bad that's gonna happen, you're really not seeing all that God wanted to show Daniel. But I'm excited, I'm actually tentative we're gonna jump in together into apocalyptic literature and together ask God to show us what the end of the game looks like. Y'all with me? All right. If you're taking notes, Daniel sees this vision. The first thing that he will see is that the kingdoms of the earth will fall. The kingdoms of the earth will fall. Pick up with me in verse one of Daniel chapter seven. <clears throat> in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, now if you have been reading with us and joining us through the book, you know that this king was in chapter five and it was the end of his reign. So Daniel is telling us now about a vision that happened earlier in his life. This happened before the fall of Babylon. 
Daniel saw in a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Cool that he wrote it down because we have it now. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision. Y'all see he's seeing something. He's watching the game play out in front of him. I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. That showed up in our video, the water in apocalyptic literature you can go all the way back even to Genesis chapter 1 is the great chaos that God comes to calm stirring up the great sea verse 3 and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another in chapter 2 Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream of a statue that was foretelling of four kingdoms that would rule the earth now Daniel is going to see these four kingdoms show up as four beasts. And I want to remind you that he's seeing this before they happened. And the details, as we continue to go, even chapter 8, he's going to give the names of several of these kingdoms before they showed up. And we have actually, through the Dead Sea Scrolls, right, we have written documentation that we have these books before Jesus ever showed up. Like, the, 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 people didn't just make these up recently. Verse four, the first of these beasts was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Before Babylon, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel used both of those images to describe the Babylonian ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. Y'all might remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in his life. He was humbled like a beast. And then after he repented, he humbled himself before God. His mind was given back to him and he stood on his feet again. Y'all see it playing out there in the vision. Verse five, and behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. Y'all know the kingdom that took over Babylon. Anybody want to tell us who was it? We read about it actually happening in chapter five. It was who? Persia, yes, Persia. The Medes and the Persians ruled together, but the Persians had greater power. And that is depicted, we believe, even in the way this shows up. This was a bear and it was raised up on one side. One had greater power. It had three ribs in its mouth. They overcame three kingdoms, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told to rise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard. The leopard at this point in time was the animal that would symbolize speed. What kingdom took over Persia? Anybody? Greece. How, how quickly did he do it? Very quickly. There was a ruler by the name of Alexander the Great that took over the known world in just 10 years. He actually died by the age of 32. After he died, the kingdom was divided up between his four generals. So we have this leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions 
And behold, a fourth beast. What kingdom took over Greece? Anybody? Rome. Rome was a kingdom like the world has never seen in power and longevity of rule. Here's what we read. A fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had 10 horns. What do the 10 horns there mean? Um, different commentary writers will argue different things. Most believe, and I personally believe, that what we see here is there were four great world powers. After those four great world powers, the last one gets really subdivided out, and there end up being some 10 powers in the world, but no one great kingdom. Those 10 powers that are in the world are in the world when we are going to see this antichrist show up on the scene these ten powers are depicted in different places in different ways here they show up as the ten horns the vision i believe that we saw earlier in chapter two were the ten toes we have these ten powers but what why why would god tell daniel this well notice that these beasts are showing that this present world order and he's going to be explained more, we'll read later in the chapter, y'all are thinking, wait, we just saw animals. How do they have to do with kingdoms and kings? Well, he'll tell us later that's what they had to do with. There was a guy that described it to Daniel. But we have these world powers that are violent and they lust for power and they fight each other and they ultimately all end up fumbling the football. <laughs> the, all the kingdoms of the earth end up falling. That's, that's what God tells Daniel is going to happen through the dream, and that's what has played out in the history of the world. Y'all know this, right? <coughs> I, I want to say just something real quick related to this. Uh, I believe one of the tragedies in our country today is the desertion of patriotism. I do believe that God calls us to support our country. God called the people of Israel in Jeremiah 29 when they showed up in Babylon to seek the good of the city and to serve there. I believe there should be more Christians involved in politics and helping what goes on here in our country. I believe that should be the case. In my own house, we have a flag that flies outside all the time. In fact, most holidays, there's two flags outside because of the Rotary Club in town. Yeah, we, we, I, I'm not anti-patriots. I, I believe we need, I'm in my office, you can come to my office and my, my, my grandfather was shot down in a war and we, I have uh, different uh, replicas of his medals in my office, okay? So please hear me. I believe we need to invest in uh, serving the country that God has called us to. But, but saying all that, you need to know the hope of the world is not America. That all the countries of the world have fallen that it, when we get to heaven, the star-spangled banner is not the first thing we're gonna hear. Really, okay? That, 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 that the hope of the world is not our country. Christians, we need to lead in our country, but the kingdoms of the earth will fall. There are gonna be 10, looks like, as you read apocalyptic literature, some form of world powers. America might be one of them, but in the end, we have this other showing up. Here's next point, a kingdom of Satan will rise. A kingdom of Satan will rise. Verse eight, I considered the horns 
And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Interesting, this little horn is going to show up a lot in the rest of the chapter. Three different times we read that these, this horn, when he shows up, three of the other horns are going to be removed. So it looks like whenever this figure shows up on the scene, three of those other 10 world powers get overcome or taken away or maybe merged together with this horn. Another horn, the little one, which was like the first horn, was plucked up by the roots and behold, this horn were eyes like the eyes of man. He had eyes like the eyes of a man, but it was not saying he actually was a man, interesting, and a mouth speaking great things. This mouth, again, will show up many other times in this chapter. It looks like this person that will assume power or this world power that will follow him is gonna follow a mouth of great eloquence. They're gonna have someone that can charm the world with his words. Now, we could keep going uh, in just reading directly. We're gonna see the highlight of the dream in verse nine, but I'm gonna come back to it because after the dream, maybe still during it, Daniel wants help understanding and see, so he goes and he asks for clarification about what is going on here. He has a conversation with someone in the dream. We, we read right later in Daniel, him talking to Gabriel. So maybe this is the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel explains to him more what's in the dream. Gabriel, it looks like, wants to keep his attention on this ancient of days and son of man. But Daniel, like I think a lot of humans that study prophecy, is curious about this world power and this horn that's going to assume power. So listen to the dialogue. Start in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. We'll talk about his posture a little bit later. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Forever, ever, forever, ever. Sorry, Miss Jackson. I am full. <laughs> If y'all don't know, yeah, sorry, that was childhood music for me. Forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceeding ter exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claw of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped that which was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head. And the other horns that came up and before it, which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than the companions. So he's asking about this last kingdom and then the four, I mean the 10 horns and then this one that rises up. Verse 21, and as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. He sees a little more now. 
that this horn that arises in the end is not just gonna be a good speaker and have interesting eyes. <laughs> this horn is gonna make war with the saints, the Christians. Verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus, he said, second response now of this man explaining it to Daniel, as for the four beasts, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. Again, back to Rome, the world is still right now defined by Rome. Some of us don't realize it. We talk about the East and the West in the world right now. That's the East and the West relating back to Rome. A lot of the symbols that we use and the government structures that we use even in our country today are still based on the Roman government. So this kingdom ends up displaying itself through these 10 horns out of this kingdom 10 shall arise and then it says and another shall arise after them he shall be different from the former ones he shall put down the three kings again three that he's going to somehow overcome and shall speak words again with his mouth against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. That's three and a half years. Come back to that in a second. For the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, not talking about now the Antichrist, the one that will come from Satan, but that is now talking about the Son of Man shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. <coughs> the kingdoms of the earth will fall and a kingdom of Satan will rise. Notice that when Daniel studies and actually gets this vision of biblical prophecy, he doesn't walk around saying, oh, I understand now all the end times better than everybody else. It doesn't puff him up. A.W. Tozer writes this, the Bible does not approve of this modern curiosity that plays with the scriptures and which seeks only to impress credulous and gullible audiences with the amazing prophetic knowledge possessed by the brother who is preaching or teaching. Like Daniel is sobered by what he sees. Why? Well, the kingdoms of the earth are gonna fall. And there's gonna be this kingdom of Satan that will rise. And this kingdom of Satan that's gonna rise is gonna persecute the saints. And he sees it. This is a big deal. Some of you might wonder where this thought of the Antichrist shows up in scripture. Here, this is one of the places. We're gonna read more next week. In chapter eight, this talked about more at length. We're gonna also, if you want to have fun, you can go study. Paul talks about this person in 
I, I believe he's teaching of this person, the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. John writes about in Revelation chapter 13, this person as a, not just man of lawlessness, but a dragon that will show up at the end of time. We will read in chapter 9 of Daniel that this character will make a covenant with the people of Israel that will last for seven years. And that seven years begins what the Bible refers to as the great tribulation. Now, before I go into this, there are different people that love Jesus that talk about this and can interpret this in a whole lot of different ways. I invite you to study it. We're gonna study it some over the next month. It's gonna be fun together. I don't pretend to have a monopoly on the interpretation of apocalyptic literature. Okay, but several things that you need to study if you wanna really dig into it and invite you to, because the Bible, I think, invites us to, is the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation refers to it six different times that Jesus will reign for a thousand years. What does that mean? Well, I believe partly because of Daniel chapter seven and Daniel chapter two, that the apocalyptic literature pointing forward was pointing to actual kingdoms on earth that were coming I believe that this millennial reign of Christ is actually a kingdom that's coming. Another thing that you need to kind of deal with and wrestle with is when does Jesus rapture the church? Rapture means people rising up to meet him in the air. That's gonna happen at one point, the Bible tells us. Some believe people think it's gonna happen before the tribulation period of seven years of suffering. Some people think it's gonna happen after. Ultimately, in the end, it doesn't matter. Jesus wins, okay? But it also, we also know, yes, we're gonna get there in a second. We also know that in the tribulation period, there are gonna be a lot of believers on earth. We just talked about they were getting persecuted by this person. So either they don't, I believe there is a pre-trib rapture. That's where I fall in scripture. But I believe when that happens, there are a lot of other people that are gonna place their faith in Christ because, oh wait, I heard this was gonna happen when I was in Sunday school. And those people are gonna have a tough, tough time in seven, for seven years. If, if the pre-trib rapture doesn't happen, believe it or not, all of us are gonna be bigger believers anyway as this all plays out, okay? So here we go. Daniel chapter nine tells us he's gonna make a covenant with Israel that's gonna last for seven years. During that time, the temple will be rebuilt. How do we know? Because we read in multiple places in the Bible that he will put in the temple an idol of himself. And he will, three and a half years in, say, I want everyone to now worship me. Those three and a half years are what's referred to in verse 25 of this crazy time of tribulation that will happen when this kingdom of Satan rises. Why aren't you glad you came to church today? Why do, I, why, do I, why do I think God showed us this? I think God wanted us, as we watch what plays out in the world, he wanted us to see with a sobering posture what's going to happen. He, he wanted like, okay, there are a lot of football players that have watched the fumble by Leon Lett and it has changed the way that they play at the end of the game. There are a lot of players that have run through the end zone, even if they couldn't see anyone coming, because they'd seen Don Beebe's fumble. Make sense? 
I believe God wants to invite the church, you, me, to know that in the end, the kingdoms of the earth will fall. A kingdom of Satan's gonna rise. He's gonna persecute even those who, who, who say they're believers in Jesus. And you and I have the motive, the drive in our life to live different in view of what is going to come, but not panicked. This passage should not and does not save us from pain. It talks about pain, but it does and should save us from panic. As these things play out, we should say, okay, yeah, God said this was gonna happen. But you know, I can watch that fumble of Don, Re- Don, Don, Don Beebe stripping the ball and it doesn't stress me out. You know why? Because I know the Cowboys won the game. In fact, at that point in time and at this point in time, the war has already been won through the cross of Jesus Christ. The war's already won. At that point in the game, if, if Leon let it cross the end zone, it, it, it would have been, at that point in time, the most points ever scored in a football game. So it was, it was a sad, tragic play, but the Cowboys won the game. And this is the point, I believe, of the apocalyptic literature. So here we go, a kingdoms of the earth will fall, a kingdom of Satan will rise, but finally the kingdom of Jesus will win. The kingdom of Jesus will win. Watch this, yes, yes. Watch what we read, watch what we read. Verse nine, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. I love this name for God. His clothing was white as snow, symbolizing, I believe, purity. The hair of his head, like pure wool, symbolizing, I believe, wisdom. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Wait, the throne of God has wheels on it? Like, okay, God can go anywhere he wants and not get off his throne. The king is on the throne. This king, the ancient of days, verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. A court sat in judgment and the books were opened. These Books. Interesting, this week was fun for me to look into these books are referred to in Daniel 12 again, Luke chapter 10 and Revelation 20. These books that have recorded for them everything that all people have done through the history of the world. These books are before him when the king, king the ancient of days, sits on his throne in judgment. Now, you ever seen a kid kind of, kind of try to get something past mom and say, hey, you know, I don't know if mom really saw this. And then maybe you heard mom say, hey, Johnny, I wasn't born yesterday. Have you ever heard that play out? 
our king, our judge, wasn't born ever. He is the ancient of days. And he will judge the world perfectly in purity and wisdom. The ancient of days. Now, that should humble and scare you if you have not been forgiven for the things you have done wrong. For those of us who know Christ and what he has done for us, this is good news. The Ancient of Days shows up. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words, again, this is the mouth of the horn, his eloquence, the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now see, the king is assuming his throne. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. If you take notes in your Bible, I want you to circle this. If you don't take notes in your Bible, I want you to circle this. this. This part of the Bible is one of the most important parts of the scripture that we hold in our hands. We are reading right now the title that is given to Jesus more than any other title in the gospels of our New Testament, the Son of Man. And Jesus himself said, I am the son of man. In fact, just for fun, if you want to, Mark, we went through Mark recently. Jesus, when he was being tried in the end, he remained silent until he is asked these questions. Verse, chapter 14, verse 61, are you the Christ, that's Messiah in the Greek, are you the Christ, the son of the uppercase blessed? Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? He's being asked directly, are you divine? Verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. Ever wonder if Jesus knew who he was? I am, in fact, Yahweh in a different language. I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What is Jesus doing? He is quoting out of for them, what was for them, the most important passage prophesying the coming of the Messiah. He was quoting Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he, real quick note on that, Ezekiel refers to himself as the son of man 90 times. Son of man in the Old Testament is not always divine. Daniel chapter seven, it's divine. Jesus, when he referred to it, was referring with quotes 
with clouds from heaven, Daniel chapter seven. Y'all with me? Okay. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him Jesus, the Son of Man, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In the end, Jesus wins. The ball will not be stripped from Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus will win. That's the way that plays out. You you can watch the apocalyptic and it should bring a sobering realization of suffering that's coming. But in the end, Jesus wins. He, He wins, he wins. There is a real kingdom and a real king. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. In his love and by his grace, he lived a perfect life. And he came, when he was here on earth, he knew his first coming was not like the beasts in Daniel. He knew his first coming was to be a lamb that would be slaughtered in our place. He would would show up first coming and be slaughtered, second coming on a white horse. He is going to overcome the world. In his love and by his grace, he lived a perfect life. He died as a lamb, sacrificed for our sin. He rose again and he's coming back. Repent, believe, follow him. Church, how should this affect us? It should sober us and it should excite us that our Jesus is gonna win much more than the Super Bowl. He is coming back. And those that we know and love, we want to be part of his kingdom, right? Those that we know and love, we long to share what he has done with them. This last week, I got a message from someone who's now serving in Africa, someone from our church, a young couple who went to Africa. And this person was sharing that they were learning to share their faith from someone in our church who's part in McKinney. And she said, in McKinney, this person is sharing their faith so aggressively. I wanted to learn from this person. This person shared with me the three circles and then how to do discipleship out of the three circles. These are her words. She, this girl from Africa, talking about this girl in McKinney, she is on fire for the Lord and said to me, my name is, She said, I'm a missionary now. Now, this girl's talking about herself in McKinney. I can't get enough. My heart was overjoyed. Tears filled my eyes with utter rejoicing, watching her excitement, praising God for the resources and the tools and the people who are standing up to equip others who come thirsty, who aren't willing just to go home unchanged. I want to jump up right now where I am and say, yes, Lord, thank you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Rise up, church. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would, you would help us as your followers to live with the end in mind, knowing the King is coming. If you're here in the room and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I wanna invite you right now 
to do that. If, if you're understanding that, that the way the world's gonna end, yes, it's gonna end. The King's come to save you through his son Jesus. If you wanna receive the gift, say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I receive your gift of forgiveness through your son's death on the cross in my place. For those of us that know that gift, okay, it's the fourth quarter. We know who's gonna win. Share the good news, right? With those that you know and love. God, help us as your church to be your hands and feet. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we wanna invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's gonna preach the Bible and exalt Jesus. Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.